As uh, Barbara's coming forward to read the scripture for today, I just want to say a few brief words. Uh, the uh, scripture notes page is on the inside of your bulletin, and I'm going to invite you to have that out. And uh, a couple of questions I'm going to be asking you, and some things you may want to write down a little bit later in the service. Um, and so I have that in front of you. Also, if you want to um, turn to Acts 11 in your Bible or the Pew Bible, and follow along. It's a rather long passage I've asked her to read, so thank you for doing that, Barbara. It's a, it's a pivotal passage, though. If Acts 11 doesn't happen, boy, the church is a whole different animal today than it is. And quite frankly, the lesson that Acts 11 teaches is one that I think the church desperately needs to hear again. I invite you to hear the story of Peter as he is trying to do his ministry, encounters Moments when God is asking him to do what prior to his encounter with Jesus Christ he would have never considered doing because of the movement of God in his life he begins to see things in a radically new way. I want you to hear what happened to Peter in Acts 11 as Barbara shares. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem The circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by four corners. It came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If if then God gave the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of God for the people of God.
Gracious and loving God, we take this scripture that for us may seem a bit confusing, partially because it speaks of things we experience very little in our life, and partly because it speaks of truth we may not want to hear. So help us to get to the core of your message to us today, whether it comes through my mouth or the movement of your Holy Spirit among us and with us throughout this day. We offer it all to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Very quickly, put it in your mind or write it on your paper in front of you. What's your favorite food? Just think about it. What's your favorite food? You can have it for lunch today. Don't worry about where it exists in the world or how much it costs. You can have it if you want. Your favorite food, what is it? Got it in your mind? Turn to somebody and tell them what it is now. All right, all right. Now, what is your least favorite food? I'm talking about they put it on the table in front of you. you you're going to make a face. You either can't eat it or you will suck it down with anything that can hide the taste for you. Think about that for a second. Think about it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Now, go find somebody you did not tell your favorite food to and tell them your worst food. Go. Hurry. Okay, all right. You're taking more time with the lousy food than the good food. I don't know what's going on here. They're arguing about it. Okay, one last question. Well, it's not, well, I got two more questions. Next question. If you had the opportunity and you could select anybody in the world, you could invite to come have dinner and you could spend a meal with that person, who would it be? One person in the world you could invite to have a two-hour meal with. You could sit and talk and eat and get to know them, understand them. Think who it might be. Go tell somebody. I, I'm just, yeah. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right. I told how mine was Beyonce, just because I want to see the congregation happen when Beyonce pulls up to my house. I think that would be a real hoot right there. That would be mine.
All right, now this one I'm going to ask you, but you're not going to answer. You're not going to tell anybody. This is just for you and you alone, okay? So just keep this one to your mind. And you give them an inch. All right, listen, very carefully. You can't share this one. This is really important. Who would you hate to see at your table? Who would you hate to see at your table? You would not want to share a meal with them. Okay, no pointing either. <laughs> You're clear. Now, if you'd ask the Apostle Peter these four questions, it's my guess he may have stopped. Well, let me tell you a story about that. And the story you would have, might have told is the one that was just read to you. Peter here encounters some table conversation requirements. In this story, Peter is challenged to see his world, himself, his faith in a new way. You see, Peter had been raised as a Jew. His master, Jesus Christ, was a Jew. And when Jesus called Peter and the others to come follow him, Jesus never said anything about giving up their Jewish heritage or practice. In fact... Jesus himself practiced Jewish faith. He attended high holy days. He followed sort of dietary law. I mean, there were times that he pushed the edges. There were times he frustrated those who kept tabs on how properly to conduct yourself in all ways that are Jewish. But the fact is, Jesus was born, lived, and died a Jew. So you can understand... Peter never had any thought in his mind that he would have to give up his Jewish practice to become a Christian. In fact, I think you can understand why Peter and the others assumed that if you're going to accept Jesus Christ, the best way you could do it is if you were a Jew. You would understand where Jesus was coming from. In fact, if you weren't a Jew and you wanted to accept Jesus Christ, you can understand maybe, maybe, that they said, well, first you've got to become a Jew and then a Christian. You can understand how you got there, but you can also understand if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you all of a sudden were interested in following Jesus Christ, why that might be problematic for you. I just want to follow Jesus. No, you've got to become a Jew first. I'm not even worried about the circumcision issue. But all the things I would have had to take on, all the cultural practices I'm now going to absorb, plus follow Jesus, what's that about? So, those who are not of the Jewish faith, who are attracted to Jesus, had some questions about that, but so apparently too did God. Because in this story, Peter's finding himself engaged more and more Gentiles in his witness, in his, in his uh, missionary work. Jewish communities were responding to the gospel call. But Peter was shocked to discover so too were non-Jews. And in a vision, God comes to Peter and lays out in front of him on a tablecloth all manner of food that absolutely is forbidden for Jews to eat, had been for generations. And the following of the dietary laws of the Jews was a matter of pride and faith identity. You have to understand, when these dietary laws were first given to the Jews, they were powerful forces in their life. They they were people who no one understood, and they were living in a very confused world. And so when God said, here's how you can be unique, 
live this way, do these things, eat this, don't eat that. Their unique diet gave them identity in the world. Every time they came to a meal, they remembered whose they were. So they passed down from generation to generation how you cook, how you prepare, what you ate, what you didn't eat. And it mattered. It's a point of important faith. Generations of Jews. Important for Peter. And now in front of this spread, in front of him, filled with food, his, his family for generations would never consider touching. To hear God say, have a bite. Problematic. But God continued to move in Peter's life. God continued to say to Peter, in essence, Peter, listen, you're following me now, and I want you to understand. You're going to eat from an expanded menu. Because the mission of Jesus Christ is not for just for some, it's for all people. All people. Even people like you and me, by the way. Peter becomes aware of the expansive purpose and power of the grace of Jesus Christ in this story. And he sees how God is working in the lives of these, well, pagans. God is doing amazing things. They're coming to faith. They're feeling the power of God in their life. Peter can't dismiss that. And so he begins to celebrate it. He begins to sit at table with people he otherwise never would have sat with, eating things he never would have allowed himself to eat. He eats with them. He lives with them. He cares about them. He begins to accept them. Because at the common table of Jesus Christ, no one is allowed to be a stranger. This is what happens, though, when he goes home. Peter goes back to Jerusalem, you know, where the heart of Judaism was and where the rest of the church was primarily made up of Jewish-slash-Christians, and so they received Peter back. And they've heard about what he's been doing, and I find this so interesting. They seem okay with the fact that he was preaching the gospel to Gentiles. That's not what they were worried about. What they asked him was this, why do you go eat with these people? I mean, can't you... Can't you tell them about Jesus, you know, from a distance? You don't have to go hang out with them. Because when you eat with them, it makes it seem like, well, they're equal. Or accepted. It's like saying, you don't have to do what we did to come to faith. And... I'm not sure I like that. You got to wait till they accept all the things that we did, till they go through all the things that we had done before they're really accepted in full faith. It's almost comical if it isn't so painful. What I love most about what Peter did, though, is this he did not stop and quote scripture. So oftentimes I see Christians get into these conflicts. And they grab a Bible and say, well, let me tell you about this passage. And they do Bible war with each other. He didn't do that. He didn't say, well, the prophet Isaiah says. What he says is this. Let me tell you a story. 
Let me tell you a story about what's actually happening in the world. Let me tell you how God is working with these people. Let me tell you about the transformation I see Jesus Christ do in their lives, their lives. As they've been living their lives, Jesus is working with them. And if God is going to give them the same thing God is going to give us, then I'm going to eat with them. And they're welcome at my table. And they're welcome at the table of the Lord. You see, before this story, had you asked Peter favorite food, he would have said kosher. Least favorite food, anything that wasn't kosher. Favorite people to eat with, other people who celebrated the same dietary laws. People he would never eat with, people who didn't. After this story, any food you want to put on a table is okay with him, as long as it creates community across the table. And the people he wanted to sit with were people who were willing to accept others by grace and not hold them off because of past practices. Now, if you remember from your Bible lessons, the Apostle Paul is considered the strongest evangelist in the entire history of the world. But I'm here to tell you, if Acts 11 doesn't happen, the church never moves out of Jerusalem. The church never would have understood its mission as Jesus Christ intended. Because Peter was willing to allow his understanding of the menu to expand. His understanding of the gift list to expand. The church became that place where Jesus Christ was offering to all people at any time grace and mercy and compassion and love. Now, like all faith communities, the church has always had its traditions and its practices. And they're important to us, just as they were important to the Jews and the dietary laws. You know what they are. I mean, I can tell them to you. I mean, we, what do we value? What do you value most as a Christian? What helps you most in your faith journey? Uh, maybe it's worship. Maybe it's Bible reading, or maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's communion. They're important to us. But whenever we allow those things that are so important to us to become that which is the most important to us, so now we say to people, well, you can read the Bible too, but you have to interpret it my way, or you're not a real Christian. Oh, you can worship too, but if you're not going to quite worship the way I do, then it's probably not really valid. Whenever we take something that God has given us to draw ourselves closer to each other and God, and we make that thing bigger than drawing to others and God, that thing is no longer acceptable. And I want to tell you this. We value our traditions and our practices, and we should. That's why God gave them to us. But we need to always remember they can be superseded at any moment by the movement of the Holy Spirit that may take us to a new place or understand something in a new way. The witness of Jesus Christ is for all people, and that requires disciples of Jesus to intentionally be friends and witness to people who are not like us at all, except in the way in which they also love Jesus or could. Christian community is a unique community. It's not for everyone because, quite frankly, not everyone wants to follow Jesus. But anyone who wants to follow Jesus, no matter where they come from or how they necessarily always understand how to do that, are welcome to be part of the community of faith because the Holy Spirit has claimed them. 
Everything that keeps us and others from drawing closer together in relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be laid down. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had this in mind when he talked about the beloved community. As he's fighting for civil rights, as he's trying to transform a country, as he's creating enemies upon enemies of those he didn't want to upset the status quo, including Christian leaders of his day, at least some, Dr. King fought a fight for civil rights. The reality is, he was never about just civil rights. He was about a vision of a beloved community where all people would come together as one in celebration and respect of each other for who they were, as they were, and that God would bless each and every one equally. He said this, the end of this civil rights movement is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. It is this type of understanding, goodwill, that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men and women. I want you to listen to what I'm going to say the next two sentences very carefully. The most radical lesson from all this is one simple statement. Holy holy tradition and spiritual practices do retain their value, but they must be willing to adapt whenever that tradition excludes others from Jesus Christ. The church needs to continually adapt its mission and its purpose to reach out to people as the Holy Spirit is moving. This is not about being politically correct. The gospel transcends political correctness. This is about seeing where God is moving in the world and celebrating however that might occur and whoever that might touch and change. It's a hard lesson for the church because we really love the way we've established our church, our church. We need to read Acts 11 again. Next to the two, second and third week of May, the Global United Methodist Church will join together for what we call General Conference. Reverend Laura Spear and behind me is one of a very few of those from our Michigan area who are going to represent the United Methodist Church as one of the alternate delegates. I can tell you she has been up to her eyeballs in pre-general conference work for a number of weeks. And she and I can tell you, as as, as well as others and Hal and so on, that there's a real risk that when we get together in the middle of May, there'll be an awful lot of pain. Because while the global church is coming together, the reality is so much of the headlines will be the American church fighting over the issue of homosexuality. I just heard word this past week of a friend of mine who's well informed that in the North Carolina area, for example, there are a number of churches that are already preparing to withdraw from the United Methodist Church whichever way the vote goes. If the church chooses to become more welcoming and inclusive of the gay community, there are congregations who are going to leave. If we do not change the status as it already stands, there will be other churches that will leave. And that's the position that's happening, the life of the church. Not in Michigan, although there is divisive spirits in Michigan. I don't know if any churches getting ready to pull out. We're not. 
and the pain for me. That's my church. I serve you, but that's my church. And the pain is, is that like the Jewish church in Jerusalem, wondering to Peter, why do you have to eat with them? You can tell them about Jesus, and then they can quit being who they are and become like us, and then we'll accept them. I don't know why you can't get along that way. Acts 11 says, wait a minute, church. Is the Holy Spirit moving in a way different than you used to understand? Then listen to how the Holy Spirit's moving. I'm worried for the church. I'm worried because I think we forgot what Peter learned. I think we're sitting in Jerusalem wondering about how come we would want to accept people like that, whoever that is. I'm worried for my sister, Laura, and for the other delegates who are going. And I'm going to invoke for you right now, please, would you pray for Laura, the other delegates going to General Conference in May, that their spirit will be safe and well, that they will live faithful witness that the church will actually be the church that Jesus intends in that gathering. Let it be said of this congregation, of you and me, we treasure our spiritual practices. And we will confess the fact the majority of those spiritual practices still have value and power, and it isn't that they don't have value and power, it's the fact that we haven't been practicing them enough. Anybody here ready to say, I've been praying too much? Anybody here say, I've been reading that Bible way too often lately? (laughs) There's power. If only we would. We're giving Bibles to the second graders today. And then we're going to offer a class for the parents to teach their second graders how to read the Bible. Because we know their parents oftentimes don't know. Because they're part of a generation that weren't taught. And I know there's some second-grade parents out there who are scared their kids are getting Bibles. They are. And I know some parents of some middle school kids today in this room who didn't begin to learn their Bible until their second-grader got their Bible. I know that's a fact. I also know that we as a community of faith, while valuing our traditions and maybe practicing them a little more, We need to make sure they never supersede the movement of God's Spirit in the world. You and I are called to remove all barriers and lay down any sense of righteous indignation when we see Jesus moving the life of someone else differently than it moved in ours. Thanks be to God it's moving at all. May we as a church, as you're doing so faithfully in so many ways, be open to the Spirit of God, what it's doing, how it's living and vibrant in us, around us, connecting us. Even when you move to another state, we continue to be a family connected by that spirit. It's a critical time for the life of the church. It's not about our survival. It's about the fact there are a whole lot of people Jesus wants to touch. Make sure you're with those people. Don't be one of those church people. All my, church, all my friends are church people. Go out and make different friends. How's God going to use you if you just hang out with a bunch of Christians? I've said before, go hang out in the bars more often. 
I'll go with you. <laughs> Make friends. Because what you have to offer is not for a few. It's for everyone.